The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Envision, fostering a community for change. Your host is Thomas Rosenberg. In today's program, you'll meet fascinating people who are implementing innovative ideas to make a difference both locally and globally. Now, here is Thomas Rosenberg. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Envision. This week, we are going to be talking with Christopher Kuntz and Dr. Katya Sol. They are co-directors of the Ecology of Leadership program here in Northern California, and the reason I'm bringing them in is because they are doing some really fascinating work around building community and helping doing healing both on the individual and community level. Katya and Christopher, welcome to the show. Thanks for having us, Thomas. Yes. Great to be here with you. Likewise. So, Christopher, as one of the co-founders, could you just describe the Ecology of Leadership program? Yeah, well, um, we are in our 11th year now, and um, the Ecology of Leadership is a community and nature-supported self-development and leadership development pathway for uh, people who want to make a difference in the world and leverage their gifts and passions in, in service of this great turning that we're in, um, and uh you know, we have a flagship five- or six-month uh, deep-dive immersion process that we run at least once or twice a year here in Northern California. And, uh, you know, it's a circle of um, roughly 30 to 40 change makers that come together and, uh, uh, as you described, you know, do a deep-dive in their own inner work and then leveraging that inner work in uh, the way that they are showing up in all aspects of their lives, um, from their intimate personal relationships to their service work and uh, their careers and how they want to make a contribution in the world at this time. Wonderful. So what spurred the creation of the Ecology of Leadership in the first place? Well, um, I wish uh, our co-director, James Stark, were here also to speak to it, but uh, he and I, when we first met and came together, uh, we saw a need for uh, kind of a redefinition of leadership for these times, and rather than supporting the uh, the model of lone wolf leadership and trying to go out and uh, save the world, uh, you know, um, each of us in our own silos. Uh, we uh, imagined a pathway where <clears throat> our leadership was inspired and supported by connection, and that is, uh, you know, developing a deeper awareness of our inner world, but then also finding strength and uh, 
uh, support in connection with other people in community and also with the natural world, which is sort of, you know, our, uh, our most profound source, if you will. Um, and then finding that uh, when people did that, uh, that there was a totally new quality of presence, uh, inspiration, creativity, and vision that was becoming possible for people. And, um, and that we realized that that's the kind of leadership that we, uh, that we need in these times, uh, not fighting against as much as it is actually taking a stand for. Mm-hmm for what we want and as individuals, as community. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Charles Eisenstein um, coined a phrase of, uh, you know, moving towards uh, the world that our hearts know is possible and uh, coming together in a collective and, um, and being able to be witness and what our hearts are calling forward as poss- possibilities for life and for our world, uh, and then finding the interweavings of our passions and our gifts and witnessing one another, um, moving from old stories and beliefs and ways of operating individually and collectively, uh, and then imagining what's possible. Um, you know, it's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So, Christopher, what was your journey before starting EOL? Well, um, you know, I myself, um, I, I have roots in deep nature connection and nature studies and um, with Wilderness Awareness School, for example, and uh, Tom Brown's Tracker School and uh, studying in, in university, studying ecology and natural history and conservation biology. Uh, and then working for a number of years in different conservation organizations, uh, Fish and Wildlife Service, um, and uh, working on conservation projects around the United States. Uh, and then eventually finding myself actually um, drawn towards working with human beings more, um, which is sort of, uh, you know, the hum- human consciousness is uh, the the common thread that has gotten us to the place that we are on the planet right now. And so finding a way to reweave humans again into uh, a connection with the natural world and uh, a deep stewardship consciousness um, began to be you know, my focus. And there's a, uh, you know, there's a spiritual thread in it too that, um, you know, for me to discover uh, uh, deeper connection with the unseen and recognizing that that's also an aspect of deep nature connection, that there's uh, something even mystical of uh, reconnecting with the matrix of life and that there is uh, a deep healing possible there too and a, and a freeing of capacity to vision um, and for our creativity and so, you know, uh, coming together with James um, and having done some studies in counseling psychology and just human transformation, um, you know, the ecology of leadership began to, you know, it was the, the perfect next step. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. 
Katya, I'd love to bring you into the conversation. You came to EOL a few years into its existence. Could you share a little bit about your journey to finding EOL? Sure. Thanks, Thomas. Um, well, when I came into contact with the Ecology of Leadership, I was actually in the middle of my PhD studies at the University of Toronto. And, you know, my background was in community development, education, leadership development around the world. I worked a lot in Indigenous communities in different countries and in South America, Latin America, also the Middle East, and, um, you know, working with communities around the world. And, you know, I came to a place in my career where I also realized that, you know, as much as I loved working overseas, that so much of is um, happening on our planet and also globally is actually sourced from right here in North America where there is a part of so much of the resources and also the decision-making that pulses out internationally. And so I started to become more interested in transforming human consciousness and behavior here in the United States. And so I was doing a PhD program in community development and transformative learning And I was looking for a case study that was connecting personal transformation and how you change individual behavior and attitudes and belief systems with the greater social, ecological, spiritual, cultural, economic, ecological shift, which I believe is happening at this time on our planet, Um, what Christopher referred to as the great turning. So moving away from a um, more consumer-based, uh, model into a life-sustaining model of being alive on the planet at this time. And I came, I was living in Canada at the time, and I came to the Bioneers Conference here in California, and I met Christopher and learned about the ecology of leadership work and decided to make that the case study for my research. And so my initial contact with uh, what we call EOL, the ecology of leadership, was you know, I fully participated, so it was a participatory research project, and I participated first. I put myself fully in the process and um, to experience it from the inside out, and then I started facilitating the program at the same time as I conducted research and interviewed alumni and completed the doctoral dissertation and, you know, simultaneously moved into co-directing the program together with Christopher and James. Wow. So what made EOL or Ecology of Leadership such a good source for your for your research? How did that how did that really, I guess, flesh itself out in this participatory process? Well, it was um, you know, for me the ecology of leadership is approaching the question of how do we create change at this time from a very unique perspective? So there are a lot of programs out there that focus on self-development. There's, you know, therapy. There are, you know, different inner work processes. And then you have a lot of programs that focus on the outer leadership skill building. Um, and then you have other programs which focus on nature connection, things like Outward Bound. But there, there weren't a lot of programs that I saw that were bringing these together. And it's part of the unique alchemy of the ecology of leadership that I defined in my dissertation, which is that is you know we live in a time in which humans um, have what you know someone that I cited in my research called a disconnection disorder. So we're actually suffering from a feeling of separation or isolation from the planet, 
from one another. We don't live in villages anymore. We don't have the same feeling of community. Um, many people just from their own selves. So if you look at the rates of anxiety and depression, medications in the United States, the number of people who really are struggling with a feeling of isolation and separation within them own, their own selves on a daily basis, um, you know, I see this as the greatest challenge which is facing humanity right now is this feeling of disconnection which then leads to behaviors which actually reinforce separation as opposed to how can we come back together and so the ecology leadership is asking how can we create in our lives personally and also in our communities and move into leadership from a place of deep connection so really it's a process of remembrance remembering ourselves as part of a greater whole remembering our connection with the land remembering what it, what does it feel like to be in community again to act as if we are villagers um, and ultimately what is it like to be in deep connection with ourselves to feel um, you know, rooted and grounded in our own lives on a day-to-day basis and then to create our lives from that place. Mm. Beautifully stated. So it, it seems to me that there's also, especially with very timely and, and relevant considering recent events in Charlottesville and, mm-hmm. and elsewhere, just finding this connection to ourselves and to each other and Besides the nature connection, because you've both spoken to that, is there something else in the EOL, in the Ecology of Leadership Alchemy, that can can speak to to those needs at this moment? Absolutely, Thomas. There's, um, you know, there's an elder that we have, uh, two elders, Belby Rooks and Dedon Gills, who's who's now passed on, but they're they're connected to the um, regenerative design community where we house the ecology of leadership and you know they asked a very powerful question when visiting the slave dungeons in Africa many years ago they said you know in in the face of this kind of conflict and separation um, the question to ask is what does healing look like you know and so for me that is really a central question of the ecology of leadership is what does what does healing look like? What kind of healing do we need to heal the great structures of division, which, you know, for me, the United States is really founded upon a lot of, you know, separation, slavery, colonization. There are deep structures of divide, which are the foundation of our whole societal framework. And so, you know, how do we repair that? You know, for me, it Sometimes it's as simple as sitting in community with one another and then asking that question, what does healing look like? And so in the Ecology of Leadership, you know, we have this community space where we can just come to understand each other. We can learn about one another's pathways and journeys. We can ask questions about, you know, how does racism show up in one another's lives? How are we a part of the problem? How can we be part of the solution? And it comes down to a very intimate look at, you know, like, where am I, you know, not peaceful within myself? Where is there violence within me? Where is there separation within me? How am I planning that out in my intimate relationships, in my community, in my family? And, you know, really taking on the practice that the change starts within. And, you know, from there, we can go on to address how do we really start to shift things on a greater societal level. Oh, oh, excellent. Christopher, is there anything you'd like to add to that? Yeah. um, You know, uh, to do the kind of work 
that Katya is describing, uh, we put a lot of value in creating a container in community that can actually hold those kinds of conversations uh, where it is, it's a brave space uh, where, uh, you know, there's a, there's a capacity to hold the deeper layers of truth telling, um, being honest about what is moving uh, for us individually, which opens then a space for others to be more vulnerable. Um, and ultimately, it's then being willing to be influenced by other people's uh, process, by their shares, by their uh, revelations. And there is then something that becomes, um, that emerges out of a space like that, that that's not as possible when we are in a one-on-one or even in a you know small group when we're in a bigger space with that collective energy and intention for healing and evolution um, and uh, to dig deep and to be courageous in it uh, a lot more becomes possible so you know and 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 some of it uh, is difficult to, to describe. It's almost like, you know, you called it alchemy, and it is in a way um, creating a space uh, for what needs to happen to happen and mm-hmm. then to respond to who's in the room with what stories and, uh, you know, specific needs and expressions, and that then informs what emerges out of that space. And ultimately, it's always connected to the larger whole, um, just because it is intrinsically. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. Beautiful. We have to take a short break, and we'll be right back, continuing our conversation with Christopher Kuntz and Dr. Katya Sol from the Ecology of Leadership. Think you've seen everything there is to see in online television? Let us surprise you. Visit voiceamerica.tv today for sports, health, business, and more on demand 24-7. Where are you getting your advice on buying, selling, or maintaining your most important asset, your home? Is it from a reality show on cable TV, a comparison website, or are you just flying by the seat of your pants and gut instinct? Stop now before you make another move. Tune into Real Real Estate Today with host and realtor Deb Tomorrow. You can't afford to play guesswork when it comes to your new or existing home. Listen every Tuesday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on Voice America Variety. Have you found the beauty inside of you? Join Bonnie Bonadeo each week for Beauty Inside and Out. We'll explain how beauty plays a part in everybody's lives. Our guests are makeup artists, hairdressers, and doctors. But we'll also feature holistic and wellness specialists and spiritual advisors. You can find that beauty inside and express it to its fullest on the outside. Tune in to Beauty Inside and Out every Thursday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. You count. Tune into Interrevolutionary Radio and join the spontaneous wave of people all over the planet who, like you, are changing our world from the inside out. 
follow the movement, meet guests who are shaking things up, call in, and gain insights and courage to empower your own voice. Large or small, your part counts. So join us. Co-hosted by Helen Hillix, Todd Benton, and Chris Reeves. Interrevolutionary Radio airs live every Thursday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern, on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at regenerate.coach. That's regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision. We are here with Christopher Kuntz and Dr. Katya Sol from the Ecology of Leadership. And we are talking about the elements that the Ecology of Leadership weaves together, the importance of those different elements, and why doing this in community is particularly beneficial. So could you, Christopher or Katya, whoever wants to jump in with this first, could you give an overview of what the flow of the EOL program looks like? You were talking earlier, Christopher, you mentioned earlier the the flagship six-month program. If you could just give an overview of what the flow feels like for someone who's never gone through it. Sure, I could do that. So the flagship program, as Christopher was speaking about, is an immersion program. And what that looks like is that people are involved in a multi-month process, uh, typically six months, although occasionally we'll run a summer program, which is a bit shorter, and the participants come out for one three-day weekend per month to the uh, site of our program, which is the Regenerative Design Institute in Bolinas, California, about an hour northwest of San Francisco, and during that weekend, they have the opportunity to practice being together in village, to camp there on the land, to spend time in circle and in different configurations, so we'll have some time, which is solo time, some time in buddy pairs, small groups, in our bigger circle, and, you know, we're introducing new pieces of content each weekend, but we're also creating an overall arc of experience of, you know, what is it? like to really be in this experience of reconnection and to be in deep community. And throughout the process, people are stewarding both their own inner work and inner development and also looking at what they want to create in their life. And most people come in with a particular focus. So for example, I really want to uh, have a shift in my career or I want to call in marriage and partnership or, um, to have a child or to write that book I never wrote. And so, you know, people often have a particular threshold or edge that's calling them in, but they also, through the course of the program, get to reimagine their whole life from this new perspective of what is it like to really be living from an open heart and from a place of connection. Um, Throughout the months, they're also, you know, so in between the weekends that are in person, they're also connecting with a buddy, with a small group. There's small group coaching calls and support and people get the opportunity to put what they're learning into practice and it's something that really distinguishes the ecology of leadership from other programs because I know for me I might go to a weekend workshop or a week-long workshop and it's really inspiring and I think I've made all these changes and I go home and then within a few days or weeks I might you know sort of be like, what, what, what was that I just did, you know, and whereas the Ecology of Leadership 
gives people the chance to anchor these changes in over the course of many months. And they're coming together to practice, to deepen, and then going back to their quote-unquote real lives to put all of this into um, place. And so by the time they graduate, it really becomes a way of life. We say, you know, the ecology of leadership is not a program, it's your life. And it's um, really a living model where people are putting it into practice and where the content and curriculum is also continually evolving based on who is participating. And as Christopher was saying, who's in the room, the nature of the conversation is always shifting and changing. Um, one of the things I love most is that evolutionary nature of, of the work. And so there is both a framework that we're following and it's also very nimble in its ability to meet and respond to whatever is the current need of the group and also of our time. That's that's fantastic. So is there could you go into a little bit more detail about how the participants are encouraged to develop a regenerative mindset? Because you were you were speaking, Christopher, at least earlier about you mentioned the it being a brave container. So I was just curious if you wanted to dive in further into what what is it that, that helps them bring out that re- regenerative mindset into practicing this? Yeah, well, we, um, you know, we introduce early on in the process, and I can share briefly with you now, too, uh, the metaphor of a tree, uh, to consider ourselves uh, like a tree with roots uh, that go down into the ground, into the soil, into the earth, and a, a trunk that extends from that earth and the canopy that reaches up towards the sky uh, with its leaves and perhaps uh, flowers or fruits on it. And um, we, we introduce it to um, build this consciousness and awareness that the, the way that we are showing up in the world, be it in our relationships or in our work and the way that we're showing up, uh, in the way that we lead um, is the way that the tree manifests in its branches and that uh, the roots and soil are representing more of the inner world, our beliefs and our thought patterns and our, the stories we tell about ourselves and about the world and other people. Um, and that there is an integral relationship between our roots and soil and how we express uh, out in the world. And that, uh, that, in that metaphor of the tree, of, of the, the how are we showing up and where are we sourcing from, those two questions become uh, uh, pillars of inquiry throughout those, six months that Katya outlined, um, always asking that question of how are we showing up, what are we creating, and actually where are we sourcing from in ourselves? And that question of, uh, that brings us down into the roots and soil then uh, deepens our awareness of some of the patterns that we have adopted uh, uh, early on, some of us in our childhood and some even um, perhaps ancestral uh, passed on through the generations 
um, that uh, some of which support us in uh, leveraging our gifts and bringing our passions to light in service of life, and some of them do not. Some of them uh, result in fear and contraction and judgments and uh, you know other other types of either mental patterns or behaviors that are actually undermining uh, the possibilities that we imagine for ourselves. Um, and so, you know, we, we introduce many different uh, practices of inquiry, and as Katya outlined, some of those are very indivi- individual reflection, and some of them then um, bringing in the witnessing and support of, of others, either in dyads or small groups or even in the bigger circle, uh, so that we can uh, aerate our soil and, and look at some of the things that we're carrying in our inner landscape. Uh, and, you know, sometimes we talk about it in permaculture terms, you know, that we're bioremediating our, our inner soil and our root system um, because of the the impact and influence that some of these patterns can have on our inner uh, on our thoughts and our, our beliefs and behavior. So when we come in contact with that and we find ways to uh, transform and metabolize some of these things, there are new possibilities that that arise. New choices can be made that are more life affirming for us individually, but also ultimately for the way that we show up in in the world. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and, and that, I guess also just thinking back to what Katya was mentioning about the practicing these these new habits and these new perspectives over six months can be very impactful because it brings, it, 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 it's about the time it takes us to hardwire new habits, new habits and patterns in the brain and in the body. Right, exactly. So, it's not something that we can expect to happen uh, in a one-time event, it's, uh, these are neural pathways that uh, need to be revisited again and again and again to replace those of mm-hmm. old. Right, and then just having the being able to hold that space for others as they work through something that may be in their soil to bioremediate or what have you, and then also to be able to bioremediate as a community. Yeah, there's a there's a beauty in recognizing ourselves in in others and to feel the the very palpable uh, connection you know even between people who um, might not uh, spend time socially or find themselves uh, connecting in in the same circles uh, but recognizing one another's humanity and uh, a, a commonality of our Needs and our desire for um, for love and belonging and purpose and self-expression. Um, you know, it's a it's a very beautiful experience then to to be in in communion with others who are uh, digging deep and then stretching into into new new ways of being together. Indeed, indeed. So, full disclosure for the. For the audience, I participated in Ecology of Leadership in 2012 and 2013, and over the winter of 2013 into 2014 in the Core Immersion Program. And you know, I learned a great deal about myself, and I continue to learn from my time 
going through that process. And one of the points that I remember, can't remember now who, which one of you made it, but it was about language and, and how it shapes our perspective. And I was wondering if you could talk about the importance of language and exactly its impact on, on our perspective. Yeah, I could give a couple of examples of that from the program. Um, you know, so one is in terms of how we envision and move towards the life that we we want to be living. And, you know, we do a, a particular visioning process uh, that we call creative scene work um, within the program. And, you know, a lot of it is about, you know, first of all, asking the question where we're sourcing those visions from. So, you know, as we talked about before, if we're moving from the same old patterns and operating beliefs and systems, it's hard to create a new reality. Um, but part of it is also the language that we're using. And so, you know, so often uh, there tends to be a negative language or framing that happens in our society. Humans are naturally wired towards criticism, actually, and looking for what we don't want and don't like. And it's very different to make a shift into this is what I do want and this is what I am calling in and what I'm creating. And so in the creative scene work, for example, you know, it's um, really affirming with positive language, this is the world that I want to live in. This is the kind of relationship that I see myself in. And even speaking in the present tense as if those things are already happening, because it's one thing to say, you know, I want to have this kind of beautiful relationship with my father, for example, in the future. And it's another to say, like, I have a beautiful relationship with my father. We connect regularly. We um, share from our hearts with one another. And there's a way in which just already affirming the world that we want to live in, the kinds of relationships we want to have in the present tense, we start to create the reality that we want to be living in as if it's happening now. And Lo and behold, a lot of the time, you know, people reflect, well, wow, that started to happen. You know, there were things that I didn't even think were possible, but just by naming them as possible, I actually created that possibility in my life. So I think that's one example. Um, And another would just be the power of uh, gratitude. So again, gratitude is a core practice that we teach in the ecology of leadership. And it may seem like a very simple practice, but it's actually something that does require a whole mindset shift and a reframing and to consider what would it be like to move through each of your days from the orientation of gratitude. And, you know, it's something that we really take seriously as a practice in the program. And, you know, every meeting that we start, even in the directorship of the program, starts with gratitude. We are constantly affirming what is it that is good, that is beautiful, that is positive, that um, that we have that gratitude for in our lives. And sooner or later, you start to recognize that there's so much to be grateful for. And, you know, again, with what's happening even socially, politically in our country, there can be so much to focus on that is negative and that is challenging. And I've heard of so many friends this year who've been struggling with depression and anxiety and just the grief of what is happening in our society. And this is not about bypassing that at all. We make a lot of space in the program for expressing that grief, but it's also to feel the full range of that grief and the gratitude and how do we affirm what is beautiful and positive even as we are going through the hardest times in our lives and that this is really a fundamental shift, like not just in our language, but in our perspective and in our worldview and in our framing of life that can be fundamentally transformative. 
So is there a way that listeners could become more aware of their own language and how that might be impacting are there exercises or, or ways to just start increasing their self-awareness around that and perhaps even what they're hearing in their own communities? Yeah, I mean, I think the gratitude practice is something that really can be taken on, you know, in a very practical way. And so, you know, for me, when I started it, it was a very simple practice of, you know, there's so much that's floating on Facebook right now, for example. And so the practice of sharing what I was grateful for on Facebook in a public forum in a daily way, that was really powerful for me, both as a way of being accountable and continuing to do it daily, but also I started to get reflections from people around the world of, um, wow, that's really influencing me to hear you speak your gratitude. And so in a way, it's like what we appreciate appreciates and there can be a um, tide that we start to create where we create more positivity or it might even just be noticing what is positive in our communities, what is positive in the world, what are some of the positive actions that people are taking, what are positive actions that you are taking in your life and that, um, you know, how do we uh, create that more beautiful world that our hearts know is possible even in times of great strife and tension, either, you know, be it in your own personal life or as a society you want to add something yeah let me just uh, add if if i if i may um to what katya is sharing here um which is that there is a a simple practice to consider and to track in in oneself um the feeling state that a particular statement or the way that we're communicating about things is uh, evoking and is this the feeling state that uh, supports me in creating what it is that I actually want to create? And, you know, we, I think Katya mentioned it early, earlier a bit when we consider the creative scene process that uh, we encourage participants uh, to avoid uh, naming things that they don't want. Uh, it's kind of like, you know, I'm reminded of, uh, uh, you know, uh, Mother Teresa saying, I'm, I'm not going to go to an anti-war pro- profit, uh, protest, but I will go to a peace march. Um, you know, that, that there's a sense of um, taking a stand for a, uh, for a vision of possibility uh, and leveraging our life force and our hearts and our energy uh, passionately for that. Um, and, you know, uh, again, to find ways to metabolize our outrage and our disappointment and our anger, but then to find ways to connect to uh, the light of possibility and vision uh, for the way that we speak, we speak those visions into reality, and it is a there, there's an invitation then to find congruence between the the vision, our language, and our action, which is different than uh, than um, uh, staying connected to the old paradigm and fighting against. Uh, and instead, standing up and being a voice for possibility and for 
what it is that we really want to see. Mm. We are speaking with Christopher Kuntz and Katja Sol from the Ecology of Leadership, and we'll be right back after a short break. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Have you checked out Teen Wealth Radio? It's a show for teens, their parents, and educators. Hosted by Brandy England. Along with regular weekly contributors, Teen Wealth Radio will cover the topics that teens need to talk about. Plus, we discuss a book of the week and a movie of the week. And each show will offer a challenge to our teen listeners that they can share on our private Facebook group page. Be sure to tune in to Teen Wealth Radio, live every Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific, on Voice America Variety. What defines your success? Is it success in your business? Success in your personal life? Is it more money? Is it meaningful relationships? How about your passion? Listen for Taking Care of Business with host David Wallach. David's guests share their challenges and what they did to overcome them. What if you can let your passion for success lead you to your success? Taking Care of Business is broadcast live every Tuesday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time and 10 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Tune in to The Patricia Raskin Show on VoiceAmerica.com every Monday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time. This is the program that helps you turn obstacles into opportunities, challenges into solutions, and find answers to tough questions with the award-winning powerhouse voice of radio, Patricia Raskin. So tune in and call in to The Patricia Raskin Show, Mondays at 2 p.m. Eastern Time and 11 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the Voice America Variety Channel. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. To find out more about the program, please visit our website at Regenerate.coach. That's Regenerate.coach. You can also visit our Facebook page at Facebook.com forward slash Envision Regenerative Communities. Now back to Envision. Here again is Thomas Rosenberg. Welcome back to Envision Radio. We are here with Christopher Kuntz and Dr. Katya Sol from the Ecology of Leadership. And we were talking about language and how language can really shape one's perspective and why it's important to ask for what you want rather than asking for what you don't want. In terms of this work, we've been focusing a lot on adults. And so I was curious, is this work just for adults or can... Others also benefit from this work. Well, um, the you know the the target audience uh, of our programs over the last uh, ten eleven years has been adults. I think the the youngest participant has been sixteen or seventeen, and uh, uh, the oldest perhaps late seventies. Uh, or 80 years old or so. Um, and, you know, there has been some thought and encouragement around bringing a version of this work uh, to youth. Um, but currently, 
the way that it ripples out is really through the participants who are um, working with youth in their communities, who are parents and aunties and uncles, uh, teachers, um, you know, and otherwise involved in young people's lives and showing up differently uh, with those young people and giving, you know, radiating some of the work that they're, they're doing uh, in the program to those connections. Mm-hmm. I would just add that we, we have had a kids program at times mm-hmm. and um, we don't officially have one at the moment, but we do. It is possible for parents to come and participate. If they bring someone else, they can come and stay at stand site and the kids actually really love it. Um, our kids have done that and have gone through um, you know, many cycles of the ecology of leadership and definitely benefit from that in terms of just being in the field of mm-hmm. like, gratitude and setting intentions. And so, um, you know, people with, with children who are interested in participating can, can talk to us about some of those options. Mm-hmm. Okay. So they, so the being in that field of gratitude, even if they're not actively involved can, can help the kids, especially younger kids. Yeah, I mean, they do come and actually sit in for the gratitude circle and sometimes the intention setting and, you know, they get to just sit around the fire and to be in the community field and that in and of itself is powerful as well as just being, you know, a child of parents who are doing that that work Mm -hmm. that starts to Mm -hmm. ripple out also. Super. So I wanted to go back to a, a point that you made earlier, Katya, about how it's a, a living and, and nimble framework that is constantly changing according to who's in the circle. And so I was curious what it's also evolved and, and mm-hmm. over the years. And so I was curious what's changed and, and in some cases, why is it changed? Yeah, I mean, one direct example is that we now have have a second tier within the circle called the advanced track that, you know, alumni who want to come back and go deeper can participate again and have a more specialized curriculum for them in that second round. We may actually have a third tier that's coming up in the fall um, because of the, it's essentially because of the interest and the needs of the participants who want to continue to go deeper because, you know, even six months, you know, a lot can get anchored in, but what we've seen is people who come back for two or three cycles or sometimes even four or five go even deeper with the work. You know, this is um, like anything else that we're practicing in life. There's just an ongoing potential for what can emerge. And so we are constantly listening for how can the program evolve. We have a desert nature immersion program now called, you know, the Mojave Immersion that alumni get to go and take their process into even deeper nature connection and a personal solo on the land. And so, you know, like these programs are emerging. We have a women's weekend that um, the next one's coming up in September that came out of a particular piece of our program, um, you know, where there was a women's circle and then there was a longing for, hey, can we have a whole weekend like this, you know, and this next one is now going to open to people who are brand new to the ecology of leadership to participate. And so there's a evolution that comes directly from the uh, gifts that each participant brings and also their, their callings, you know, what they're asking, asking for in terms of content and also structure. We also have an alumni facilitation team, so alumni who want to come back and learn how to facilitate and to serve can step into those roles. And then as each of them also bring their gifts in the facilitation, then the program naturally evolves as well. Excellent. Let me turn the question a little bit here to, as 
directors and individuals, what sparks inspiration for each of you and how do you bring that into the curriculum? Mm-hmm. It's a really good question. I mean, for me, I'm often, you know, it's like I'll be uh, in the meadow having a sit spot and I'll have an inspiration come or I'll be in dream time and I'll wake up and I mean, I'm often, you know, it's like from my dreams or it's from um, just being in the circle. Like I, the way it comes to me is often like a spark of inspiration and I'll, you know, uh, turn to Christopher and he can see from the look in my eye that I've, I've got an idea, <laughs> something, um, you know, something is emerging. And so oftentimes it is like, a, it does come as inspiration in a moment of creativity. And then we have a lot of capacity to innovate. And so we will often immediately say, okay, next weekend, let's try that. And so we are very flexible in terms of, um, kind of rapid prototyping, let's, let's give it a try and see how it goes. And then we get feedback. And um, so it's a really exciting. It's one of my favorite aspects of the work we do is our, um, because of the depth and the experience of this being our, now we're coming into our 22nd cycle of the work that, you know, there's so much maturity that we actually have the capacity to then innovate within that. I would just also add to what Katya has just mentioned that, um, you know, we're we're all on our own uh, healing and self-development uh, journey, and along that, um, along those those pathways, uh, there is, um, you know, there's always new and emerging um, practices and possibilities that uh, we then. Uh, bring and weave into the curriculum in one way or another uh, or adapt or adopt um, for the ecology of leadership framework. And, um, you know, some of that is our own deep dive into ceremonial work or um, deeper layers of working with patterns and uh, ancestral healing. And, you know, for example, my, my trip to... Uh, Germany, my own homeland with my father uh, about a year and a half ago. That was an incredibly uh, deep uh, and inspiring trip. And that some of these types of experiences on a very personal level, uh, you know, become points of inspiration and uh, curriculum development. Super. So how do you, how do you each guide your own self-development? That's a gigantic question. It is, isn't it? I mean, what I would say is just that we are, the nature of leading this kind of work and the way we lead it is that we are 100% putting ourselves in the process at all times. And so we are not Mm -hmm. just leading the circle. We are absolutely a part of it. And we are consistently seeking out other forums to do our work, um, you know, as Christopher mentioned, be it mm-hmm. ceremony or other workshops or one-on-one work or work in community. So we are, we are very, very active um, individually and together in terms of our ongoing personal work and feeds directly back into circle, mm-hmm. as Christopher is saying, being it learning songs from, you know, Issa Barnwell, who's an amazing African-American um, singer and community song leader, you know, that kind of thing to having our own ceremonial experiences that then influence how we have created the Mojave Desert Immersion Program. Mm. So, you know, it's it's directly connected to the work that we're doing. Excellent. So you mentioned earlier the, the Women's Weekend and the Mojave and the 
the Mojave immersion as well as the core immersion. Could you tell us what the dates are for the upcoming weekends that are available? Yes. So the women's weekend is coming up uh, right around the corner here, September 8th to the 10th. Um, and we do have some spaces still available for that. And then the uh, desert immersion is in October. That is for alumni only, but our fall immersion is starting in November and it runs November through April, um, starts the second weekend in, in November. And um, all the dates are available on our website, which is just theecologyofleadership.org. So www.theecologyofleadership.org. And um, information on how to sign up for those programs and more details and our contact information is all available there as well. Excellent. Are there any other social media platforms on which you are active? Sure. You can find us on Facebook. We have an Ecology of Leadership group there. We have a Twitter account, although we don't really use that at the moment. So primarily... Facebook and uh, the ecologyofleadership.org website are the best places. And on our website, we also have some video testimonials from alumni who participated um, and, uh, you know, photos of people who have been in the programs. You might be on there, Thomas, and (laughs) different ways to, there's a video that we made some years ago about the program. So there's different ways to get a picture. We do have a YouTube channel. Um, which has some of these new video testimonials on it mm-hmm. as well. Yeah, we're getting ready to launch an Instagram account um, just because there, you know, a picture can speak a thousand words. So we're Indeed. we're going to be uh, sharing a little bit of the EOL experience through images there. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Katya and Christopher. It's been a pleasure having you here today. Thank you so much for having us. Thomas. Yeah, thank you, Thomas. It's been my pleasure. So we spoke about the ecology of leadership, what it means to really work individually and in community and on deep healing in a regenerative fashion. We'll be back next week at 2 p.m. Pacific. Look for announcements on my voiceamerica.com host page. You'll find a recording of today's show, other shows there. And thanks again for joining us. I'm Thomas Rosenberg, and this is Envision. you for tuning in this week to Envision with Thomas Rosenberg. Be sure to join us again next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and 2 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a terrific week.